0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. BlockNative is the easiest way to build and trade with mempool data. Hundreds of the top DeFi projects and traders have integrated BlockNative's API. Learn why at BlockNative.com. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Mike Winkleman, a.k.a. Beeple. Welcome, Mike.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Great. Nice to have you. So you're a digital artist and you've worked with Apple, Louis Vuitton, Nike, Justin Bieber, and Katy Perry. And you've been producing one digital artwork a day for over 13 years. How did you get into crypto?
1: Uh, so a bunch of people just sort of started telling me you should check out this NFT stuff. And so really only like two months ago, I I, I looked into, uh, you know, the space a bit closer and saw a bunch of names that I recognized, you know, in my sort of like motion design area. And so it's like, oh, there's definitely seems like there's something here. And so I like dove in and, and I have a computer science degree. You know, I'm not a programmer, but, it, you know, that piece of it really sort of like interested me. so. It just, the possibilities I thought were, were just endless and that there was just a, a bunch of things people hadn't like tried yet that I, I thought sounded really, really fun to like try.
0: And you ended up having a big digital art sale last weekend that raked in $3.5 million. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was just crazy to, to see. But I, I also think like it, it truly is like sort of the start of, you know, people really kind of like, Collecting this digital art, I think, you know, the, the, the physical token paired with the the NFT, I think, you know, makes it something people can really understand and sort of like speaks to their inner sort of like collecting voice. And and I think it's just the system that, you know, will be, uh, you know, uh, uh, the future of sort of like, you know, collecting artwork.
0: So tell us more of the details about that sale. What did you offer? How did you offer it? And what happened?
1: Sure. So the biggest thing, you know, that, that I think is different from this sale than previous sales is that each of the pieces included a physical token that was, you know, a digital screen that was very closely sort of like tied to the like blockchain. So it wasn't sort of like you know, a prize that, that could be separated easily from the NFT. It's something that's very meant, sort of like meant to be looked at as one piece. Um, and so I, I made, you know, people-collect.com, which sort of like houses the, the collection. And then, uh, you know, there, there was an open edition, uh, for, that was on sale for just five minutes. And then, you know, which also included the physical token. And then there was 21 auctions throughout the weekend, uh, that sold single edition. Um, you know, sort of pieces to the highest bidder. And, and so that was sort of like, you know, the components of the drop. So, you know, all weekend, you know, we sold $600,000 worth of, of the open edition in five minutes. And then, you know, the everydays themselves and the auction were going for over a hundred thousand dollars on average. And then the last piece went for $777,000. So, you know, I, I think it just shows that there's like a huge appetite for, you know, a, a tightly sort of connected digital and physical sort of like collectible.
0: And there were some pieces that were also available for a dollar as well. Why did you do that?
1: So that was sort of like a promotional thing. Yeah, there's these pieces that are available for a dollar. Those don't include obviously the physical token. Um, And they're in an addition of a hundred. And even those are are going for if you want to buy them, you know, they sold out absolutely instantly, like less than a second they like sell out. And so even those, if you want to buy them, they're like 17 or $1,800 to like buy just that, like, you know, sort of like video. So I think there's, there is a huge sort of like demand for like collecting digital artwork. And I'm just excited, like, you know, looking forward to, to first off, get these into people's hands and get them like enjoying, you know, digital art in their sort of like room, just like I am able to kind of like do with these, um, Mm And then, secondly, you know, moving forward, what additional possibilities they are to make these like, you know, cooler and sweeter.
0: And so, what were your expectations going into the sale? You know, did you expect to raise this kind of money?
1: I knew it could be big. I will say that. I did not think it would be this big, but I knew it could be big because it was like, I was just like, just having them in my like room, it was like, these are freaking sweet. Like, these are just (laughs) really like, they make the room much cooler. So it was like, I think if I can communicate that to people, like people will be as excited as I am. And the people I sort of showed beforehand, like everybody was just like, oh my God, like what? Just like, you <laughs> are we very, very excited. So it was like, you know, and again, this is just literally something that like we came up with, like my wife and I, like in like a month, because again, I've only been in this whole space two months. So... <laughs> Uh, like this was not something that's like only been thinking about this for the last two years. This was like, literally like in a month, it was like, Oh man, this would be like perfect for the everydays. And and that's where I feel lucky that I have like this sort of collection of work that's very digital and very like kind of like meant to be collected almost in hindsight.
0: Yeah. I'm going to link to the Instagram video that you did that shows the box and the, Um, I guess it's like a, it it reminds me of one of those digital photo display things. Yeah, it's like Um, a
1: physical like kind of like video display token thing, but it's kind of like got this nicer like glass feel to it that, you know, makes it feel kind of almost like a little like floating video in your space.
0: Yeah. I have to say, it amazes me that you pulled on that together in two months because it does look very nice. I'm going to be honest.
1: I'm actually a little m- amazed myself too. And, <laughs> and that's the weird thing too, about like these auctions, which I'm, you know, very new to it. I've been around in the space before, like I did before this, a lot of concert visuals. Like I did the last two Super Bowls. I was at and like, you know, it was part of the like concert visuals and stuff. So it's not like I haven't like done some stuff, but like, like, the auction piece of it and, like, how, like, final and immediate it is. Like, it was, like, after the weekend, it was, like, I immediately had, like, you know, $3 million or whatever. It's just very, like, super weird. And, like, totally in public is also, like, just something I'm, you know, not used to.
0: And so prior to selling your art this way, how did you make money from the art that you were creating every day?
1: So the way any artist, there's no real digital artist that makes money sort of, or very few that none that I know of that uh you know sort of make money directly from like selling their artwork. It's all like freelance sort of like design work like somebody has a design problem and it's like we need graphics for the Super Bowl, so it's like okay, I'll do that and like you know work together with them to to sort of like solve that problem, but it's you know this is obviously more like art sales where it's sort of I did whatever I want sort of on spec, and you know somebody bought it or whatever so there's not really, there hasn't been a path for digital artists to make a living like as a quote unquote artist where they're like selling their own work. And I feel like that's about to change. I feel like this is just the beginning of digital artists being able to sort of like, you know, like a painter or somebody like that who can sell works for, you know, significant amounts of money. And it's hard, but you can make a living like that. I feel like, you know, that's just, we're just at the beginning of like sort of looking at that. And I look at And like graffiti and like Banksy or, or cause with final plentifuls. And again, I think it's, it's, it's easy to forget that those were once, you know, sort of, uh, art forms that people didn't really respect and didn't sort of like, you know, value in in more of like a traditional art sense.
0: And so previously, like when you were dealing with collectors, like how would you make a sale and how, how did the payment happen and everything? So,
1: honestly like it was sort of like anybody else it was sort of it was just like a print i would sell prints and it was not the best way to view my art because it's meant to be you know sort of viewed on like a screen to be honest um and so you know selling them at at shows and stuff like that just like any other artist and it was just kind of it wasn't the right fit for like my artwork that is so digital. And that's where I think this caught such sort of fire is because it was, you know, this is the best way to view this artwork is you're viewing it on a screen. It's got like all this extra information. It's like, you know, sort of slowly animated. So it it feels like, you know, uh, the best way to view this digital, very digital sort of like, you know, artwork.
0: And when you would sell it at shows, did you get, um, I'm sure there was some cut taken out of that. And I'm curious to know how that compares to what it was like working with Nifty Gateway, which was the NFT site you worked with.
1: Yeah, so there was a cut. I mean, to be honest, I had not done, I had done very little shows. Like, again, because there's not that much, there isn't that much sort of in the art world. Uh, like there's not a whole lot of outlets for people who are making digital art like this. Like there's, you know, if you're a painter, obviously there's tons of galleries that will, Oh, you're a painter. They will show your stuff. Whereas if you're a digital artist, there's not, they're kind of like, well, why don't you use a computer? And that's not like, well, what are we going to do? They got to set up a projector. They got to do some, you know, this or that. And so honestly i had very few shows before this i threw one show kind of you know sort of myself almost in toronto not myself but it was sort of it wasn't through like a a, you know very like established kind of like gallery or whatever um but yeah they put on like we put on like an awesome show and it had like a really good attendance but again it's still sort of it was um not you know it wasn't the best way to view the art because again it wasn't sort of this like digital thing and and I think that now the pieces are together with the blockchain with the physical tokens that you can like you know view in your house and with the like you know website that I think all the pieces are sort of there to to kind of make it a much stronger sort of like collecting experience.
0: Okay. This is so interesting talking to you because it just makes me realize that essentially the art you were putting out every day essentially what it seems like wasn't really monetized and that most Not of your, all. it's Not almost like it was like free advertisements for yourself, for your commercial yes. work. All yes. right. So that's we're going to exactly what it was. Wow. That's, that's yeah. Just beyond interesting to me as a creator myself. Um, so in a moment, we're going to discuss how crypto can change business models for artists like you, but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Today's episode is brought to you by block native. BlockNative is the easiest way to build and trade with Mempool data. Hundreds of the top DeFi projects and traders have integrated BlockNative's API. They even have Mempool Explorer, the industry's first no-code environment for working with Mempool data. Mempool Explorer truly brings blockchain data to life, letting you watch mainnet transactions as they happen. Through the first quarter of 2021, unconfirmed listeners get double the transaction volume on all BlockNative commercial plans as much as $25,000 in value. Visit blocknative.com slash unconfirmed to get started and claim this offer. Back to my conversation with Mike Winkleman. So something I've been so curious about is since people can also just get a JPEG of the art, why would they pay a lot of money to own these NFTs? So,
1: and that was the, one of the questions I got the most when I was after the first release that i had which didn't really have that much of like a physical component is how is this different from instagram and why would i buy like you know an mp4 a a video and so you know those were the two sort of questions i wanted to sort of address with this next drop and so the the first thing is the video itself that you get for each one of these everydays is different than Instagram. It like, it looks like a collectible and it looks like different. So you can easily just glance at it and see that it's different because yeah, you'll be always be able to view these things on Instagram. Like there's just like, you can you know pull up a picture of the Mona Lisa, but that's very different than owning the Mona Lisa. Like you can pull up a picture of a bunch of different sort of like famous paintings or this or that, but you don't own those paintings. And if you did own those paintings, then it would feel very different than just looking at it on a thing. So with the physical piece, like that's where I'm kind of like trying to bring it back a little bit more to, to the traditional world of art of like, okay, you don't even need to like, don't worry about any of the blockchain stuff. You own this physical piece and it's signed by me and it's got like, you know, authentication markers so that you can look at this thing and know that it's like, okay, I, you know, you were given this thing because you own the, 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 the NFT and so you have this and you can prove you're the only one who has this thing and you kind of almost really don't even need to to worry about the like blockchain piece of it and that's where i think like blockchain will be the most interesting and useful moving forward like you look at like credit card uh you know sort of technology nobody understands how that works they don't give a crap either it's like does it work or not when i sign my thing and that's i think how nfts are going to be super useful and and the ones that will be the most successful are the ones that make things easier for people like i feel like this is a better way an easier more transparent way to collect art and so that's where i think it could have like a really huge huge sort of like impact on the broader art world
0: so the person who um you know uh, bought that final piece that went for $777,000 777 uh Same. sorry seven, yeah um, All sevens. Yes, yeah, so he was named Tim King. And um, I just wonder, do you know him? Is he like a super fan of yours? Like, do you have some kind of relationship?
1: So I knew him. I had met him earlier in the week. And uh, <laughs> I had just sort of like talked to him. And we kind of like DM'd on Twitter. And I like showed him the box. And, and sort of like, I didn't know him super well. But I it wasn't like, you know... Uh, Totally somebody I have no idea. Like I definitely talked to him on like, you know, DMing him the whole time and he was kinda like, oh, I'm gonna stop at like three hundred thousand and then it was like <laughs> you know, big like freaking thing. So it was like, yeah, I knew who it was. Like it was somebody I was like literally DMing while well this was like happening, playing out like in real time. So it's it's super and the other guy too, he was who he was DMing. I had like talked to that guy beforehand. So it's like uh, you know that's been kind of interesting too, like meeting the different sort of like collectors in the space and sort of like learning about that. And it's just such a, it's such a a interesting relationship because like we're sort of like, our interests are very much aligned. Like if their pieces go up in value, like that's great for me and it's great for them. So it's it's the really like win-win sort of thing. So yeah, it was just, I will definitely never forget that I can tell you that.
0: That amazes me. You only just met him. But it sounds like he'd been following your work for a while.
1: Um, honestly, I don't think he had, but it's it it just is interesting that a lot of our like sort of like interests and like what we're trying to do and, and different things we're trying to do, like align very well. So it was sort of like, you know, I, I think we're gonna be friends now. I will I'll say that. I'll say that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just realized actually, because his uh Twitter handle says Tim.eth so he must be an ethereum yes who yeah he's been around ethereum for a
1: while and like you know done done well for himself and you know he's just (laughs) a very very smart just super nice nice kid lives out in l.a now and like just very, very nice. I don't know how much i was supposed to be like telling him to this kid.
0: He's
1: a good guy. He's <laughs> yeah, a good let's, guy.
0: We, we don't have to dox it further. <laughs> um, so there are, you know, a whole bunch of digital artwork slash digital collectible sites right now. And so how did you end up deciding on Nifty Gateway?
1: Uh, the one thing I will say I really like about Nifty is that just that you can use credit card payments. Because again, like I'm trying to make this as accessible as possible for people. So... Was super rare. To be honest, it's it's like loading an ETH, getting ETH loaded up into a wallet is a lot of work that I don't think people quite recognize. Be, that have been in the space, they don't understand. Like you got to connect a Coinbase account, and you got to fund the account, you got to understand Ethereum, then you got to load a MetaMask Chrome extension. You got to understand how wallets work. You got to transfer. It's a lot, and so. Like, if the other option is you just load a credit card in and And you're good to go, it's like, well, that's ultimately what it needs to be. It needs to be much, much easier to, like, bring in a bunch of people. And that's what I'm really trying to do is, like, okay, the space has been on fire, but there's a lot of artists coming in. We need a bunch more collectors coming in to sort of like, you know, keep the party going here. So that that's where I was really, what I was really trying to do with this sort of like, you know, drop.
0: So the amount of money that you took in in 48 hours is actually the same amount that was taken in by all the artists on Super Rare in 11 months. So do you think that this auction went so well for you because you already have an established audience? Like, you know, you have 1.7 million followers on Instagram, or do you think that NFTs and auctions are a promising way for lesser known artists to sell their work?
1: I think it went so well because I was offering something different and I was solving a problem. I think like since then, they just had like, you know, a little Yachty coin on, on Nifty. And I think it's, it's cool. And I think there's some, you know, sort of, uh, like market for that type of stuff. But I think like that guy's way more popular than me and his coin sold for like 16,000. Uh, so I don't think it's just the popularity. I think as I was doing something new and different that people were like, Oh, that's actually a sweet thing versus just like he's a popular guy. I honestly think it was mostly just because I was like, offering this physical token and people could see like oh yeah that's actually a way sort of like better product and especially even with the open edition for a thousand dollars you've got the physical token too that i think that was why it was so successful versus like me being popular that helped but like i i think it was mostly just the fact that it was like oh this is actually you know a, a product that that seems new and different is like pushing the space forward more
0: So you kind of talked about this a little bit, but I just wondered exactly how you thought Business models would change for digital artists going forward. And I also wondered whether or not that you thought this model could apply to other kinds of creatives, such as writers, musicians, actors, who, well, maybe actors, it's a little bit difficult, but you know, writers could, they can obviously make ebooks or, you know, whatever, and musicians can make MP3. So do you think that this is something that can only apply for visual artists, or do you think other types of artists can also take advantage?
1: I think it will, I think it will depend on if adding an NFT to that thing adds more value. If it doesn't, then I don't know that it will be that popular. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm wrong. Again, I, I'm so new to these, this space. I hate to make, oh, this is what's going to happen. I don't know. Like I, I really like, I don't want to oversell my sort of like, you know, uh, whatever theories here too too much but i feel like the the things that are not like i mean you can add an nft to anything here we go here's this you know chapstick oh i want to get that nft of this like but what does that do that doesn't make it better so i i honestly think the projects where adding an nft adds value i think those are going to be the most successful where it's sort of like you know not really solving a problem uh You know, which I think, to be honest, with some of traditional art, it's sort of like, you know, if there's a painting or whatever, and you have an NFT, well, it it proves I have the painting. It's like, but the painting proves you have the painting. You have the painting. (laughs) Like, if you, you know what I mean, like what I am not sure what problem it's solving, like the painting itself proves you have the painting. Why would you need an NFT on top of that? You know what I mean? So I think there's going to be the things where it doesn't actually uh, provide that much new value. I think those, I'm not sure they'll last like a super long time. I think it will be the things where it's sort of like, oh, this NFT makes this ownership experience better or more valuable or easier or whatever. That I think those will be the ones that will be, you'll uh, see much more success. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. And any last hints you want to give us on what you might do with crypto in the future?
1: Oh, I can tell you, we're just getting started. (laughs) (laughs) We got a lot planned. We got a lot planned. Now you got the whole fam activated and the fam is we're hungry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. Well, I look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline, Bitcoin price breaks new records. Bitcoin has spent the week reaching new all-time highs, breaking through $20,000 and $21,000 on Wednesday and then breaking through $22,000 and $23,000 on Thursday. Bitcoin options daily trading also surpassed $1 billion for the first time on Thursday. As the price of Bitcoin surges, Guggenheim Investments Global Chief Investment Officer Scott Minard said on Bloomberg TV that he believes the fair value of the cryptocurrency is far from being achieved, pointing to, quote, rampant money printing and Bitcoin scarcity as reasons to think the price could eventually reach $400,000. Meanwhile, UK-based Ruffer Investment confirmed that it had accumulated $744 million in Bitcoin and what it is calling a hedge against, quote, some of the risks that we see in a fragile monetary system and distorted financial markets. Also, a U.S. hedge fund that specializes in volatility bets has quietly purchased more than $600 million in cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, with plans to bring its holdings of Bitcoin and Ethereum to $1 billion by 2021. Eric Peters, CEO of One River Asset Management, foresees a generational allocation to crypto assets, saying, quote, COVID 19 provided the ultimate catalyst for that transition. This is the most interesting macro trade I've seen in my career. On Wednesday, on chain Bitcoin analyst Willie Wu tweeted that based on his charts, $100,000 for the Bitcoin price is, quote, a ridiculously low target at the current trajectory. Wu said he views $55,000 Bitcoin as the next landmark, which would turn the cryptocurrency into a $1 trillion macro asset. Next headline, Coinbase takes first step toward IPO. After reports this summer that it planned to go public, Coinbase filed a draft Form S1 to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the first step to having an initial public offering. If it's approved, Coinbase will become the first crypto company to go public, a huge milestone for the industry. This week, the company also welcomed a new board member, Kelly Kramer, who was previously Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer at Cisco. She will chair the Audit and Compliance Committee. Also, Mark Andreessen, co-founder and general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, will take a more active role on the Coinbase board, transitioning from board member to board director. Next headline. Ethereum touches new yearly high as CME Group announces futures. CME Group plans to list Ethereum futures in February, pending regulatory approval. CME's announcement comes as Ethereum reaches its highest price since May of 2018, briefly hitting $672 on Thursday. CME, which has previously said it was focusing solely on Bitcoin futures, seems to have had a change of heart due to the growth of its futures and options market. Next headline. Paxos pulls in $142 million to expand services. The day after Bitcoin surpassed $20,000, Paxos announced a $142 million Series C investment, led by Declaration Partners, an investment advisor to the family office of billionaire David Rubenstein of the Carlyle Group. Other prominent investors include PayPal Ventures. With a total of $240 million in venture funding, Paxos is now one of the highest funded firms in crypto, though the current valuation was not disclosed. The company plans to use the investment to develop new products for institutional clients and entice Wall Street to use its settlement and crypto products. Next headline, President Trump is considering clemency for Ross Ulbricht. The Daily Beast reports President Trump is considering giving clemency to Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht, who is serving life in prison without the possibility of parole for computer fraud, money laundering, and drug charges tied to his role as founder and administrator of the first online drug market. Sources tell the Daily Beast that the president has, quote, privately expressed some sympathy for Ulbricht's situation, and some prominent Republican Party figures have said that Albrecht's sentencing was unjust. Next headline. Can crypto mining in the U.S. take off? A fortune story by Jeff Roberts reports that U.S. companies are attempting to challenge China's dominance in cryptocurrency mining. For Bitcoin, 65% of the hash rate comes from China, while the U.S. is in second place at 7%. The startup Core Scientific raised $23 million this week for mining operations in Georgia, North Carolina, and Kentucky. Its investor, Digital Currency Group subsidiary Foundry, plans to spend $100 million on mining ventures. Meanwhile, Crusoe Energy, Great American Mining, and Upstream Data are using energy waste from oil and gas activities to run crypto miners. However, these startups have to counter bad impressions left by a previous wave of Bitcoin miners who descended on small communities with cheap energy and promising jobs only to pack up without a trace. Next headline, Nexus Mutual CEO hacked for $8 million. $8 million in NXM tokens were stolen from the personal wallet of Hugh Karp, CEO of DeFi insurer Nexus Mutual. The attacker is a Nexus Mutual member, but the project tweeted that the mutual itself is not impacted. The pool of funds and all systems are safe. The attacker gained remote access to Carp's computer, then tricked Carp into signing a transaction that transferred funds to the attacker's address. The hacker has since been attempting to convert the funds into Bitcoin and has cashed out at least half the stolen funds. Time for fun bits a $200,000 Bitcoin sushi dinner. In 2013, Kashmir Hill, then a reporter for Forbes, tried living on Bitcoin for one week as an experiment. Her week of transacting only in Bitcoin proved difficult. When she decided to finish off with a sushi blowout at San Francisco restaurant Sake Zone, one of the few eateries accepting Bitcoin, her online invitation to a few enthusiasts turned into dozens of attendees. Still, Sake Zone owner Young Chen graciously accepted the $1,000 payment in 10 BTC. Now, eight years later, for the New York Times, where she is now a reporter, Kashmir checked back in with Young, who said, quote, I sold some. I feel so bad. Now, I just keep it. I just put it there like stock and wait. The Bitcoin has become one of the major saving assets in my portfolio. It's a lot. It's close to like half a million dollars in my account. Next headline, quizzes. For some reason, this was the week of crypto quizzes, with the first one being kicked off by Larry Cermak, the director director of research at the blog, who was looking for an intern. Along the way, he found a lot of already highly accomplished people in the space who would make fine interns. (laughs) And this also inspired Nick Carter of Castlillion Ventures to make his own quiz, which is a Bitcoin themed one. And then finally, Frank Shapiro of The Block also created a quiz for crypto and business journalists. I have to confess, Frank's is the only one I've taken so far. I've had a very, very busy few weeks, but I was happy to score at the 90th percentile. Enjoy testing your crypto knowledge. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about people or Mike Winkleman, Nifty Gateway, and Digital Art, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained Podcast YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with all from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Shashank, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.